everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 69 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also follow RV Miles on social media. We are over at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you would like to keep up with Jason and I and our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, we can be found at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on YouTube, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have a jam-packed Thanksgiving week show for you this week. Yeah, the shows like your stuffing, your rolls, your cranberry sauce, your green bean casserole, and your turducken all rolled into one. (laughs) I'm not going to let the turducken (laughs) thing go. I just, I can't yet. I'm not ready. (laughs) We have an interview this week with Jill Dinkins of Full-Time Families, the Full-Time Families organization, of which we are members. And it's a really great organization. And we're thrilled to have her on to talk to you about all the stuff that they do. We also have some tips and tricks for using space heater in your RV. Now's the time where it's chilly outside and a lot of RVers where they have electrical hookups are using space heaters to stay warm and save propane. And we're going to talk about using them safely. Uh, We've also got a bunch of news and an app recommendation and more. But first, this episode is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place. In an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape, many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day to park at findyourpark.com. And this weekend would be a great time to get outside, especially if you have family in town. Yeah. You guys can all go for a hike together. There is a National Park Service site in every single state. And considering how many of us are on the road this holiday season. Getting outside seems like a really great way of escaping the crowds. Yeah, let's start there with the news. This Thanksgiving weekend was supposedly, uh, we don't have the final numbers yet, but it was projected to be the busiest holiday travel weekend since 2005. Yeah, and maybe if you're listening to this on the weekend, you have already enjoyed the reported or predicted, I should say, 56.4 million people who will be traveling for Thanksgiving. And these are people that are traveling more than, I believe it's more than 50 miles from home. Yeah, so we won't even count in that number because we're only going 22 miles from where we are to where my brother lives. But I suspect because it's LA that we're probably going to need to give ourselves like six hours to get there. (laughs) Yeah. Although Thanksgiving Day is not the worst of it. They say that Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after are the worst days to travel. Right. Everyone's headed there before and then they're getting home because we've all got to go back to work on Monday. But it's L.A. traffic. You never know what you're going to get. You could just zip down the highway and get to where you need to go in like 20 minutes or all of a sudden you're just sitting in jam-packed traffic and you're sitting there for three hours. I've got dinner rolls though, so we'll be okay. (laughs) But the big reason for the, the increased travel this year is gas prices are down. 
Yay. Gas prices are finally on a decline from, from a really rough summer. I need to see the diesel price drop yeah. drastically, yeah. please. The diesel price didn't increase. as I mean, it increased. It didn't increase as much as gasoline over the course of this summer. Yeah. Gasoline well, got way up and now it's, it's creeping back down. We are finally kicking out of the L.A. area. Wander bus should be repaired and waiting for us the Monday after Thanksgiving. So we are going to be booking it to Kansas City because we have a ton of holiday obligations that start on December 1st with our theater publication that we run in the Kansas City area. We have to cover 1,300 miles in, I think, four days. And I did just like a rough estimate of how much we were going to spend in fuel. And I'm budgeting somewhere around $700. I can't, I mean, my heart, it just, it just seizes, (laughs) seizes when I say that number, but you know, we're just going to get to our destination and then we're going to be stationary in the Kansas city area for the holidays. So it'll balance itself out eventually. All right. Next in the news, uh, there was a, a, a big piece of news that came out today. And I wrote an article about this on the RV miles website. You can take a look at uh, the RV industry association has been pushing for quite a while uh, along with the, the association of campgrounds for a new ruling from the department of housing and urban development to describe what an RV is because HUD regulates the sale of dwellings. And RVs have always been exempt from from HUD's regulations, but the exemption wasn't defined very well in explaining what an RV is. So the RVIA has been pushing, the RV Industry Association has been pushing for some clarification. And this clarification finally happened, which is great news for the RV Industry Association, defines an RV as a vehicle of a certain size, whether it's a trailer or a vehicle with an engine in it, and defines it as a vehicle that follows one of a few different nationally recognized standards in its construction. The problem with this is, is that tiny homes have always fallen under this same sort of loose, what is an RV regulation. Tiny homes were not covered by HUD because they were considered somewhat of an RV. So now in order to be exempt from housing and urban development rules, which are going to require certain building codes be followed, a tiny home has to follow one of these national standards, the RVIA standard, or there's a, there's another standard that is for park model homes, which are sort of stationary RVs in RV parks. So now tiny homes built by manufacturers are going to have to follow one of these standards or they have to follow the mobile home manufacturing standard, which is really tough. So this is kind of a a big wrench being thrown into the tiny home manufacturing circuit. We'll have to see how it all shakes down on all those uh, reality tiny home shows. How are they going to build their tiny home now? (laughs) A lot of tiny home manufacturers already follow RVIA standards. So this is great for them. Uh, It's the ones that don't that this is trouble for. If you build them on your own, shouldn't be an issue at all because this regulates the sale of them. However, if you build one on your own, I guess if you want to sell it down the road, you might have some issues with that, at least legally. 
if you want to read into more about all the geeky details on that, you can check out the article I wrote, which is really dense. It is. Jason, so Abby says. Jason brought it to me to proofread after he had written it. And he said, can you look this over? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. And I sat down and I started reading it and I was tweaking things here a little bit here and there. And then, and this is just how my brain works and Jason's brain works differently. About the third paragraph in, I was like, oh, well, there's a lot of, lot of, lot I, of technical stuff in here. I cut it down. And uh, I started to sort of be like, what are we having for dinner tonight? Like there was just like this part of my brain that just went to, what am I, what am I making for dinner tonight while I'm sitting here trying to edit this article for my husband, which is awful to say, but it, it has a lot of great information in it. I enjoy getting that information filtered through Jason <laughs> because I just am not one who can sit down. I can't read a manual. Jason can read a manual all day long. I can sit and read a Jane Austen novel. There you go. Jason cannot read a Jane Austen novel. No, no. All right, moving moving right along. I had seen something in in a Facebook group a few weeks ago. Somebody had posted uh, a question about boats, and particularly boats that have a cabin in them. And they were wondering if RV parks will let you stay in your boat. And I had never thought of this before because... A lot of boats with a cabin inside are essentially the same thing as an RV. I mean, you can, you could even plug them into shore power and, and dump and everything in an RV park. And I, I didn't really have an answer for that. But lo and behold, I found out today, I saw this article today on Curbed, that the Europeans are way ahead of us on this, as they often are. And the Europeans have a few different models of RV trailers that are also houseboats and they look like an RV trailer somewhat and they look like a houseboat somewhat and you can essentially just either park in a campground or you can back them up into the water off of a of a boat ramp and go tour the lake. So what you're saying is the Europeans have RV houseboats. We have water ducks. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I want to make it, I just want to be clear here. So here in America, we have cars or big buses, I guess, that you can drive around and look at things and have someone tell you all about the city. Then they will drive you into the water yeah. and continue to go. We have those. And in Europe, they have house RV boats. Yeah. We've had those okay. for quite a while too. Those are not new. Those have been no, no, no those like, are not new. They're, they're like not World new. War II era. <laughs> no, they're not new. I'm not. In, I'm definitely not saying they're new. In fact, maybe it's time for us to think about upgrading. Maybe we need some but RV boats. I just, you know, it just that just struck me. I, we also, <laughs> I think we mentioned this on on an early episode, but there's also a company that is manufacturing a platform that you can drive your Class A RV onto. And it, it, like, it's like a boat platform, right? So it's like a, a, a it's a, it's a barge, a barge. Essentially. Yeah, it's an RV barge. You drive your class A out onto it and the wheels set into, no. a, into little things mm -mm. that where, where you actually use the engine of your RV and the wheels mm -mm. turn on your RV no. to turn a propeller and you turn your steering wheel on your RV to turn the boat. No, no, I'm sorry. Again, I'm going to find that video. I'm going to share that and, and both mm -mm. and. And these European RVs in the show. Listen, notes, European cool. RV houseboats, 
drive your class A onto a barge. I could just. That's, that's I, the American way. <laughs> the Europeans make a little trailer that can float, <laughs> and we make a barge to drive your three hundred thousand dollar RV I, onto. Yeah, I. Mm-mm. I'm not doing that. I'm not driving Wanderbus onto a barge and then seeing how it goes. Well, the barge probably costs a heck of a lot more. Than I'm sure it work. probably does. It probably does. All right. That's the big news. We also want to mention a few RV miles things. We want to make sure you check out the holiday gift guide article we wrote and talked about last week. There's a lot of good stuff on there if you are interested and in giving some gifts to a friend or yourself. I'm always interested in giving a gift. To a friend or myself. Or yourself. <laughs> or myself. Especially. I'm always interested in giving a gift to you that I benefit from. Yeah. Especially if you just are walking through Target and it, it just speaks to you. Stuff It does. Target speaks to me. It speaks my language. And this wonderful home we've been staying in in the last two weeks, I realized today when I hopped in the car because I needed to go get something, uh, I realized I didn't need to plug Target into the GPS because I just knew how to get there. Already. Already. I actually knew how to get there by early last week, but we don't need to go into that. We also want to make sure you check out the America's National Parks podcast. This week is a Christmas theme episode. It centers around uh, different Christmas activities in the past at Yellowstone National Park. And one of them in particular, I I really couldn't get through writing without tearing up a little bit, to be honest. So heart-wrenchingly sweet. It's just another reason, regardless of the holiday aspect of it, it's just another reason. And I don't want to give it away because it's just so adorable. But it is one of the things that just I find the National Park Service to be so endearing, sometimes so wonderful. And this story just reminded me about how much I love our parks. And finally, we want to recommend that you check out RV Chat every Sunday at eight o'clock. Yeah. And don't think we're taking the week off just because it's a holiday mm-hmm. weekend and 54 million people are driving home on Sunday. Mm-mm. We're and, going to be chatting. And the big topic this week is insert topic here. <laughs> and I'll go back and re-record that in later. Okay. Oh, I'm don't, so. Don't let me forget. I'm so embarrassed. We have been so full of really cheesy one-liners already. And we're only like 15 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> That's okay because we got Jill for like half of it. So we do. Thank fun. goodness Jill is here to rescue <laughs> all of us from Jason and Abby and their very poor jokes. So yes, RV chat happens on Twitter every Sunday at 8 p.m. Central. You will find Jason tweeting under his Twitter handle. And then I usually jump in under the Our Wandering Family handle. So we hope you will come over and join us. It would be great to talk to you. Let's take a break. And when we come back, the answer to last week's brain teaser. And we're going to talk about space heaters. Be right back. We're back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. What is three-sevenths chicken, two-thirds cat, and a half goat? Of course, so many of you got the answer to this, right? I didn't. (laughs) When we got the first email and someone said Chicago, I was like, what? The answer is Chicago. Yeah, and then 
I finally was like, oh, oh. C-H-I is three yes. sevenths of chicken. Yes. C-A is two thirds of cat and go is half of goat. It would have been a little bit trickier if it wasn't like the first letters of each word. But Look, we all have things in life that we excel at. And we all have things in life that maybe we're, we strive to be a little bit better at. I clearly am not designed for brain teasers. I was too literal. I was like, two thirds chicken. What's two thirds of a chicken? I was literally trying to break a chicken down. You would. (laughs) Who's our winner this week, Jason? Our winner this week is Lisa Worthington from Indiana, who will be receiving a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. And you'll have your chance to win yours at the end of the show. All right. It's time for our tip slash app recommendation slash gear slash whatever the heck we want section of the show. I'm excited that we've figured this little formatting. Have we? Because that name is awful. It's it's clear clear we figured it out really well. Yeah. Wow. We've really (laughs) got a clear vision on how we want this to go every week. So what do you have this week for us, Jason? I want to recommend an app. And this isn't really RV related, but it's a great thing to have when you're on the road, when you're exploring different places like museums and and libraries, uh, any places where there might be art. This app is called Smartify, and it's very simple. All it does, you open the app up and you get your camera opens up and you point it at any piece of art. And if it is in their database, it will find it and give you all the information that you wanted to know about that piece of art. This is such a great thing to have as a road schooler, homeschooler, unschooler, however you want to label it. Because I can think of so many times that we have been in a museum looking at a piece of art and the kids have asked me about it. And I have some art knowledge, but I don't have a vast amount of art knowledge. Something like this is so cool because I can then just point it right at the picture and be able to answer their questions immediately without having to do that whole Google search of like typing in the name of the art piece and the artist and then searching like, do I trust what Wikipedia has to say about it? And I just think this is really cool. I would like to see this happen for more like opportunities for more interaction in museums where you can kind of expand the educational knowledge. Yeah. And you might even be somewhere, you know, a museum usually has a plaque that's going to give you the basic information. You might even be in a hotel that has a a reprint of a piece of art and you just want to take a picture of that. Or you might be at at a library or a restaurant and they've got a poster that is that is a famous piece of art and you you want to find out what it is and get some more information about it. You can use it on all that kind of stuff of so sculpture in a sculpture garden. It's pretty cool. So definitely check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's called Smartify. All right. It's time for our segment on space heater safety. And I'm excited to talk about this a bit because Uh, You know, I think this is a time of year when a lot of people are breaking those space heaters out. Maybe we're even well past that time of year. And I think space heater safety is incredibly important, especially when you're in, you know, a little tin box RV. Well, and we've certainly seen this question kind of coming up a lot, too, in Facebook groups, which I think is kind of what brought it to our forefront of maybe this is a topic we could talk about, because like you said, it is something that we're all thinking about. And for a lot of us, it's how we're staying warm in the RV right now. I mean, even here in the LA area, if we're camping at night, 
I went outside just a little bit ago and it was seven o'clock and it was 61 degrees. It's cooling off at night where the heater is kicking on here in the house at night. So this is definitely the time of year to be talking about it. So we've got lots of tips and info to talk about. But first, this segment is sponsored by Go Sun. When you're out camping in the wild, miles from the nearest propane or electrical hookup, every bit of energy and fuel matters. Not going to be using your space heater. No, no one's using their space heater. With GoSun solar cookers, you can cook full hot meals without propane, without electricity, without wood. GoSun cookers trap the sun's rays to steam, bake, roast, and boil, even when it's cloudy, using special reflectors to grab the available heat and trap it in a borosilicate glass tube where food cooks at up to 550 degrees. I love saying that word, borosilicate. I know this is a reason why Jason reads this ad because he just loves it. I love the product. Jason loves all of the words that he gets well, to say. Okay, so my just here, we're going to do a little sidetrack here, right? My degree is in lighting design. I'm a stage lighting designer is sort of my background. The lenses, the sort of high end lenses that are in stage lighting instruments are made out of borosilicate glass. So you and Gosan are like kindred spirits. <laughs> we are. I, I could you I could, could make theatrical dramatic lighting point, for Gosan. I could point lights at it to make it cook. <laughs> that would be kind of wasteful. Very. It's like it like defeats the whole it defeats the whole purpose of Gosan, though. Yes, it does. So use it in the sun. <laughs> Three different models offer the perfect combination of portability and cooking capacity. Visit gosun.co. That's co and use the code RV Miles for fifteen percent off all of Gosun's solar cookers. Support this small Cincinnati-based company looking to change the way the world cooks with free energy and no harmful smoke or emissions. That's gosun.co and use the code RVMILES for 15% off. I know that Colin over at GoSun said that they were going to be rolling out some secret Cyber Mondays. So if you did not get to take advantage of the Black Friday deal, you might still be able to get in on something pretty sweet on Cyber Monday with the code RV miles. All right, let's talk electric heater safety. This time of year, a lot of people are using electric space heaters in their RVs to sometimes circumvent using their propane heaters. So the first thing you need to realize, the first thing that I think people need to know is that campgrounds often have rules about using space heaters. And even though, you know, maybe they can't tell that you're using one, sometimes they don't want you to use space heaters because it takes a ton of electricity and you're trying to get, you know, your free electricity because you've paid for your site and, and perhaps you're not paying for electricity and not use your propane. But sometimes campgrounds don't want you to use that. And we have seen where campgrounds will sort of check your electric meter and try to determine if you're using that kind of electricity. But also a lot of people plug in their space heaters directly to the pole on the outside. And, you know, if they see you doing that, they might be upset with that. Or some don't care whatsoever at all. I don't think we've ever run into a campground no. that's said anything to us, but we stay at a lot of state and federal campgrounds. So I can't speak to what the, the yeah. private campgrounds feel about this. Yeah, public campgrounds usually don't care. So let's start there though with the plugging into the pole outside and where you can plug your space heater in in general. 
a lot of people, like I mentioned, do plug their heater in, they run it on an extension cord to the power pole outside. And the reason they do that is maybe they're on a 30 amp service and they don't want to have to take up virtually half of their available 30 amps with their space heater, or they want to run two space heaters. So they plug one in and then they plug the other one into the pole. So a lot of people do that. And you may have heard over and over, do not plug space heaters into extension cords. You know, a lot of the electrical safety organizations and fire safety organizations have been drilling that into us for years that that is dangerous. And they're right. And, but they, it's kind of just a general rule that they've put out because they want to keep people safe. But you can safely plug an electric space heater into an extension cord. You just need to make sure you have the right extension cord. It has to be the right gauge. So the, the size of the wire that's in your cord is the gauge. And if it is too small of a gauge, it will overheat and could light on fire. I've seen it happen before, especially with sort of like lamp cords, you know, the, the really cheap, thin, flat extension cords. Those are all sort of garbage. They're, they're not meant for this kind of application. They're meant to run a single light, right? So if you do want to plug your, your space heater into extension cord, you need to pull up a chart that shows you what the gauge is. And I can't tell you what gauge you have to use because the gauge depends on the length of the extension cord. The longer the extension cord is going to be, the bigger the gauge needs to be. So you can go out and buy, generally you can buy like a good solid contractor grade extension cord, and that's going to cover most of your needs up to a hundred foot, a 10 gauge extension cord is going to cover anything that you could plug into a normal circuit, but that's going to get expensive. So, you know, you might want to. What do we have? We have, we have a 12 gauge extension cord that's uh, 50 feet long. Okay. Yeah. Which covers, covers our needs easily. If you're plugging inside, you don't, it doesn't need to be as big of a gauge because you're not using as long of a cord you do want to avoid power strips. You, you could theoretically plug them into power strips. You can. Um, but the reason you want to avoid power, power strips is power strips, especially cheap ones, can fail. And you want to avoid the temptation of plugging multiple things in. So any space heater needs to be on its own circuit. There shouldn't be other stuff plugged in with it, at least not that's on at the same time, especially another space heater. And I think that's the biggest reason they say not to use power strips because you'll have lots of people plugging two space heaters into the same power strip. And that's just a recipe for fire. So basically keep your space heater on its own outlet and do not have that outlet shared with your microwave or your toaster oven or your instant pot or anything that's going to draw a lot of power. You need to know what your circuits do in your RV, because there could be multiple outlets on one circuit. Even if you're plugged into a different outlet with your space heater, but your toaster oven is in another outlet that is on the same circuit, that's going to trip that circuit. And if your breaker doesn't trip for some reason, it fails for some reason, it could cause other problems. Theoretically, it'll just trip the breaker, but it could cause worse problems than that. Yeah, we have it laid out in the bus that our major 
electrical appliances each have their own outlet. And so we know that that outlet belongs to that major appliance for that very specific reason. And that was one of the things I think was kind of nice about designing the bus is that you had firsthand knowledge because you did it yourself of how you wanted the electricity to run through there to make sure that we would be able to have multiple large items have their own outlets and keep us safe and not have to worry about these kinds of issues. Yeah. I want to run through just some, some safety tips from the electrical safety foundation international. These are all different space heater safety tips that I think are really important. Make sure your space heater has a label showing that it has been listed by a recognized testing laboratory. It's usually the UL underwriters laboratory listing UL. If you've never seen what UL does, what underwriters laboratory does, go uh, go to YouTube and, and search up UL testing. They test the heck out of products like this. I mean, I, I watched a video of them testing shingles and they point like flamethrowers at them. I mean, they literally light them on fire and see how long they burn, stuff like that. They are really incredibly thorough and all electronics in, in the US and heaters and appliances like that need to be UL listed. But the thing is nowadays, if you're buying stuff on the internet, if you're buying it on Amazon and you don't know if you went and bought like a cheap space heater on Amazon, you really want to make sure to check to make sure it has that sort of listing. Because if it doesn't, it means it probably doesn't have the safety features that any good space heater should have. And those safety features are going to be tip over protection, number one, which is incredibly important. So you know, obviously one thing that can light a fire really quick is when your space heater tips over and starts heating up the carpet and you don't want that to happen, of course. So most space heaters have a little switch that stops them from running the second they tip over. I think that that brings up the point too about space heaters is that, that they need to be operating in a space that is free of potential objects falling on them, yeah. you know, and this, I understand that this can be hard, but that really does mean like keeping them out of the bedroom areas as much as possible, yeah, the especially bed, at falling. night. Yeah. If your blanket rolls off of you and, and just sort of falls a little bit off the bed on top of it, or, or like in our, our bus, we've got bunk beds. And if we were to put the, a space heater in the bunk bed hallway, the kids could easily drop something on it. Well, of course we would never want something like that to happen. So you really need to make sure it's well away from anything from above, from the side, wherever. They recommend three feet away from anything, which is virtually impossible. That's impossible in an RV. Even in a lot of houses, that's yes. impossible. But, you know, go with the spirit of that rule and, and just try to keep it as clear as possible. Obviously, you never want to leave a space heater, heater unattended, so you don't want to run it, you know, in your RV while you're gone for the day. It's, a, it's not the greatest idea. And by not the greatest idea, he means it's not a great idea at all. Please don't do it. You don't want to use them to warm bedding. Obviously, you don't want to use them to cook with or or anything like that. You also want to make sure, of course, that you have smoke detectors that are working. And that's something that people might forget about in RVs to make sure, you know, your smoke detector, may the battery may have gone bad while your RV was in storage and it chirped all winter long while it was in storage and you got back into it in the spring 
and didn't realize that the battery on the smoke detector was completely dead. Yeah, hopefully that's part of um, everyone's dewinterizing list. Yeah, is to check your smoke detectors because, and if it's not, we highly recommend putting it on the list because it's a very important part of the RV lifestyle. And there's a whole bunch of other tips on here that um, we'll link to this whole article in the show notes. But I just want to add, in addition to using space heaters, that you don't want to use your stove to provide heat in your RV or your oven. You don't want to turn your oven on and open that up to provide heat because those things obviously give off carbon monoxide and, you know, quietly put you to sleep. So you want to be really careful about that kind of stuff. And if you have to, if you need to get heat quickly, go somewhere. Yeah. I want to say too, you know, in addition to a smoke detector, please have a carbon monoxide detector Mm -hmm. in your RV as well. Those are incredibly important. You know, one thing personally I feel about space heaters when we're using them is I try to keep them on the lowest setting possible. You know, I understand it's cold It's not a big deal to put on a sweater or a pair of socks or wear, you know, if the kids want to wear a stocking cap, they can. You know, I don't want it unsafely cold, but I also am much more comfortable with us keeping it at a cooler warmth. And I think that that also can prevent any potential accidents because it won't be drawing as much power. You know, if you have one of those space heaters that's going to heat, you have it like, let's say you have it set too high all the time. Well, it's going to heat to what its high setting is and then it's going to shut off. Well, it's not going to be too much longer before it's right back on. My philosophy is I would rather have it on a low setting, have it heat up for a little bit and then be off for a while before it kicks back on again you know, again, to each their own, that just feels like a safer way to operate a space heater in a small space to me. I think it's really important to, to mention here that if your RV has an electric fireplace, that's another space heater. I mean, that draws the same amount of watts. Space heaters are drawing, you know, 11, 13, 1500 watts. And your electric fireplace is a space heater. So if you're using an electric fireplace, and then you're also plugging two space heaters in, you're using a lot of electricity. I've seen people that have their electric fireplace going. They have three space heaters going. They have a little mini space heater going in their bathroom. Look, can I just look, I'm just going to say it like I'm going to say it. If you need that many space heaters going in your RV, you need to move. Yeah. You need to go somewhere else. You have a home on wheels. You need to pick it up and you need to take it somewhere else where you don't need to have four or five space heaters going in such a small space. Yeah, it's it's just a bad idea. I mean, you don't it's have so dangerous. It's dangerous. And your propane heat, it can be costly, but it's safe. And it's really what you need to use if you really need that kind of serious heat. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Jill Dinkins of Full-Time Families. Lots of great information about their wonderful organization, all the different things that they offer when we come back. We're back and I'm excited to share with you Today, my interview with Jill Dinkins of 
the Full-Time Families Organization. Full-Time Families is a membership organization that you can join online, and it's just full of great resources for families that are out on the road. And you don't need to be full-time to be a member of Full-Time Families. You can be interested in going full-time, or you can just be people that camp a lot and travel a lot. And we've been members for a little bit now and have certainly got a lot out of it in that little amount of time. And we're excited to use it a lot more. Yeah, we're definitely newbies to the organization, but it was really after we met a family when we were in the Albuquerque, Santa Fe area that was camping near us, that was a member of full-time families. It was really meeting them that kind of tipped the scale for me. I had been sort of back and forth on whether or not we were going to join ever since we got on the road. And it was really meeting this family and hearing their enthusiasm for the organization that was finally that last little piece of the puzzle that I needed to join. And I think you will be so pleasantly surprised when you hear Jill talk about all of the things available to families and kids out on the road through full-time families. And we didn't even get into everything in the, no, in the they time are, I had to interview her. So. I love this organization. The more we get to know it and the more we want to get to know it, I realize just how invaluable they will be to us and to our kids as we continue on this journey. So I'm so glad that Jill took time out of her incredibly busy schedule to sit down and chat with you. All right. Without any further ado, here is Jill Dinkins from Full-Time Families. Welcome, Jill, to the podcast. Thank you for having us. So first, I'd like to start out with you and sort of your journey into being an RVer and and what led you to, to taking over full-time families and, and that whole journey there. Sure. Uh, Dustin and myself and our four kids have been on the road for five years. Um, and we launched uh, from Upper Michigan, so we launched from a beautiful place with a lot of winter. Um, so we were tired of winter, and one year we headed out in our 27-foot travel trailer with no slides. Um, and so we fell in love with the lifestyle right away. Um, we knew that this was something that we wanted to continue on, and we have been loving it ever since. Um, we took a couple breaks from RV living. We rented a house for about six months. And we also lived on a boat for seven months. So uh, we've done a couple different things, but RV living keeps bringing us back. And uh, the community is what really brought us back the last time from living on a boat. We missed everyone. Um, and Kim and Chris, uh, we chatted uh, at Thanksgiving time last year. So about a year ago, uh, we started the conversation and they um, knew that we were looking to get back to the community and they were looking to um, move to something else. And so they offered uh, the opportunity to purchase full-time families. And we we have been entrepreneurs and we thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. So um, it has been a very busy and whirlwind of nine months um, <laughs> to where we are. So uh, we're excited to be a part of uh, the lifestyle and uh, seeing it grow. So we're excited. And we're, and we're full-time family members. We've only recently become members and we're just sort of getting our feet wet. But we, we came to the organization the way I think a lot of people do through the full-time families Facebook group. It was sort of our introduction to the wide group of people who are not members. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> our 
we have a so we have about 28,000 members on our large Facebook group and it is overwhelming to me still to this day uh, the amount of uh, people we get joining every day um, so we're, we're glad that you became members and we're excited that you're uh, part of uh, the members group now because it's not so crazy on the members uh, it's, side it, it's very true we've been finding that out there's a there's a separate Facebook group for full-time families members where you can chat with people who are members it's a much smaller group much more focused group of of people who are yeah. out there not just dreamers but mostly people who are full-time in, in the members group right yeah and that members page has really taken off with um meetups around the country i think that we're up to about five um thanksgiving potlucks right now that are happening all over we have one in florida and one in williamsburg and one in california so it, it's really an opportunity to meet up with other families uh, all around the country so let's take so a let's, step back and talk about what full-time families, what the organization is, and, and what people get out of it when they join. Sure. Full-time families is all about community. Um, so the community we provide is through meetups as well as online and in person. Um, and that's the biggest benefit that we have um, is that community. So uh, while you're traveling along the road, you can meet up with friends all along the way. Um, and we also offer discounts um, from anything from Harvest House to Passport America. So our members can get discounts for all different organizations, um, as well as some education. So uh, we're working on different packages for education from everything from what kind of type of RV you need to um, discounts on educational products for the kids. So um, we're excited to launch a new Explorers program which is our scouting program. It's launching in January, um, and that's based for kids five to 10 years old. Um, and so that program will be, each month they'll get a different uh, badge to earn, um, and it'll be interactive on Facebook as well as at our live event. So we're really excited about getting that started for our, our younger kids, as well as our older kids. We're using the DIY app, um, which is also you earn badges um, for different activities um, and the older children from 10 and up are communicating on that. So it's really neat to the kids are getting to interact with kids, even though they're not together. I'm very excited about getting our kids involved with that. We have three boys and the our middle child will absolutely love scouting and has has not put his feet into it yet. So very excited about getting him involved as well as the other two who I think our oldest really is is clamoring for that interaction with other kids, which he gets often at campgrounds. But it'll be nice for him to have a way to just sort of continue to connect with other kids. Um, you also have a dedicated Minecraft server, right? Is that still? A we thing? do. Yeah. Yes, we do have a dedicated Minecraft server. Uh, it's called. Uh, we usually host the event on Mondays. Uh, we're looking to expand it because with our traveling lifestyle, sometimes Mondays we're at a national park. Um, so we're looking to add a couple different uh, times on that server, so we'll be able to use that more. If people aren't familiar with Minecraft, it's a gaming platform where people, where kids can build and adults, I guess, can build stuff out of blocks and uh, kids are obsessed with it. Our kids watch YouTube videos about Minecraft more than they actually play it. 
<laughs> I I agree. Ours as well, definitely. But it's, it's a, amazing. It, it's they, great. Our six-year-old talks like you know talks about YouTubers like we've we've met them in person. So it's it's it's, it's true. It's very true. We know them all by their first name. So I think one of the biggest reasons people join full-time families is sort of the events that you have going on around the country, like you said, the sort of potluck meetups. What other types of events do you guys do? In 2019, we have 17 different events planned. So we have everything from a full-on family reunion to be held in Madison, Florida, with 60 families in attendance, uh, to small meetups. Uh, where they're holding potlucks in Breckenridge for the winter. So all the different kinds of events. Our rallies have different themes. So we have a STEAM series that uh, is focuses around the sciences. Uh, we held a robotics rally this year in Michigan. We were able to tour the Ford plant. Um, and so we got some hand on, hands-on interactions with the robots. Uh, so our events are a week of amazing time to learn and to connect with other families. I would highly recommend attending one. It is a game changer for many of our families. We're very excited too. I know th- I know the Balloon Festival in Albuquerque is a big one and it's already sold out for next year, which is crazy because, you know, it's it always is. impossible actually, to get anywhere there. But That event sold out in 12 hours. We have 48 families coming and it, it is, it's really exciting. And that, um, we, uh, it is called the balloon experience. So we're, um, also planning to attend, uh, festivals around the country and those will be experiences so we can learn from the, ex- uh, event as well as be together. It's fantastic that people can get out on the road and not pe- our family and friends are always asking us, you know, the, the question that everybody asks homeschoolers, what about the socialization? <laughs> and our kids are, are most more social than Many kids I know because they're able to meet kids so quickly uh, and befriend them so quickly and adults as well. And I think it's so great that we can sort of connect with other families before we actually head to an area. You've got the family locator uh, on the website, which is a, a great tool where you can sort of see other families and where they're at. Or you can just sort of ask in the group who's in this area. And there's always somebody in the area. There's always somebody in the campground. It's amazing. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, We are so amazed at how many families are actually in the area we are. Uh, Even if we're in, we're currently in Ohio and there's a family about an hour and a half from us. And I was like, why are you in Ohio? And she's, why are you in Ohio? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of cold. We should head south. um, But yeah, it's. It's truly a grow. It is a growing uh, community, but um, it's a very tight knit community. And at any given moment, if you have a problem on the road, our members will quickly um, find a solution to your problem. Um, one of my favorite stories is uh, one of our members was stranded outside of Atlanta, and within five minutes, there were three families within you know a quick drive. Um, more in the outside surrounding areas, but uh, we had a tire to them and they were uh, quickly on their way to a campground within a couple hours. So um, it's a really great community to be involved with. I think when a lot of people start out doing this, they don't realize how many families there are. Do you have any sort of numbers on that? 
on our current number count on um, number is 2300 members um some of them are not active anymore but um we have about uh 1500 uh active members great and then, of course there are you know many many more who aren't members and there are many that aren't families that are correct out correct. on the road yeah. full-time there's a lot of people out there and and it's just a a great community to be a part of Jill, if people want to get involved with full-time families, uh, what's the cost? What's the best way to do it? Currently, um, you can visit us on the website at fulltimefamilies.com. Our current annual membership is $65, um, and that will get you a year membership um, with full-time families, as well as a year of Good Sam and Escapees. So you'll have one year free with Good Sam and one year free with Escapees um, with our membership. And we also have opportunities um, for lifetime membership as well. Which is a great deal, because if you were going to just go spend the money on those anyway, you might as well become a full-time families member ends up being about the same amount of money and, and you've saved it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We ha do have a new conference coming out. Um, it's called RV family conference. So if you're interested in becoming a full-time family, um, and living on the road with us, we have a dreamers conference, um, in Tampa, Florida in February. So you can check that out as well. I am. I really wish I would be in Tampa in February, <laughs> but unfortunately I don't think we'll have made it that far down south yet we're, we're going to be up with some family in the midwest oh I'm looking, and... <laughs> I'm looking forward to tampa in february for sure so and again another way i think that's great to get involved with full-time families is just go join that facebook group yeah definitely yeah yeah ask some a... questions and uh and really you'll get some answers that you'll be surprised about um you know there a lot of us have been on the road a long time and you'll uh, get some good quality answers to what you actually need on the road it's also one of the nicest Facebook groups out there because a lot of the RV Facebook groups can get a little, a little feisty. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We, we have a lot of moderators working on that page really hard. Um, so I'd like to, you know, take a moment to thank the moderators because they spend a lot of time uh, making it uh, family friendly. <laughs> All right. Jill Dinkins from the Full-Time Families Organization. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks again. All right. We want to thank Jill Dinkins again for being on the show this week. Such a great resource. Full-time families is, you know, one of the things that we didn't get to talk about that I wanted to mention full-time families has what they call a family friendly campground finder on their website, which gives you, you know, clearly what it says it does is information on family friendly campgrounds, but also these campgrounds are ones that either don't have what is called a kid tax. You'll often hear full-time families mentioned and kid tax is when a campground charges extra per person. So sometimes a campground might be $40 a night and then they charge an additional $5 a person for every person over four people. Sometimes it's over two people. Sometimes it's over two people. And a lot of us call that a kid tax because yeah. that's kind of what it's meant to be. Yeah, it's charging us for having kids. So these campgrounds that they list are either ones that don't charge the kid tax or ones that will waive it if you're a member of full-time families. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty cool organization. And I feel a little bit like, and I'm just going to throw this out here. Jason didn't know I was going to do this, but I feel like her interview kind of kicks off a new series that we want to start yeah. because next week we're going to be talking with 
uh, a friend of ours who has an incredibly vast amount of knowledge regarding birding. When we met Michelle and we spent some time with her and our family and we would go out, what she could tell us about birds in that area was so incredibly fascinating. And it was through her full-time travels, I believe, that she became really interested in this and has really become incredibly knowledgeable. And it's kind of kicking off a series we thought would be great to call Road Warriors, where we just talk to everyday people, just like Jason and I. We're just a couple of normal people who happen to be traveling around in an RV. And through that, we have learned or our perspective on life has changed. And we kind of wanted to start this series where we just talked to people who, through their own travels, found either a hobby or an interest or something that really just kind of changed for them. Yeah, really, we're looking to make RV Miles more of a community, more of a place where we have people like you, our listeners, writing interesting things and coming on the podcast and talking about interesting things that you're experts on or that you came across or that you have an experience with. Um, so we're meeting people and asking them to get involved and and write things and come onto the show. And if you're interested, hey, drop us a line over at editor at rvmiles.com. We'd love to hear your ideas. Yeah, it's like Road Warriors is also, I feel like it's going to become almost like a fireside chat. That idea that when we meet people in the campground and we just learn what brought you to this campground or what brought you to full timing or what brought you to purchase a fifth wheel. There's always a story behind it. And it's always very interesting and very fascinating. And I like that idea that we're just going to talk to people about their own personal experiences. And it doesn't have to be anything massively life changing, but it's just their personal experience. And that is worth its weight in gold. I'm really excited for your interview uh, with Michelle next week. Because it's my first time interviewing. <laughs> and we had such a great time with Michelle bird watching. I mean, we're we going on trails with her and she is no pun intended or completely intended watching birds like a hawk. She was. And, and Man, she could I'm, spot them I, like just way up in the distance. And she's like, oh yeah, that's da da da. I mean, da. you don't realize like, they're there. Like they're blending in with the trees and they're you don't realize they're there, but she sees them and she knows she knows how to find them. So yeah, she's got she's got lasers on them. She knows. So that's happening next week. Uh, again, thank you to Jill for kind of kicking it off this week with letting us know a little bit about full time families and her story of how she got involved as a full time traveling family and with the organization as well. And on that note, I think it is time to wrap this episode up because we have at least two, if not three cherry pies. That require our attention. All right, here is this week's brain teaser. A lily pad doubles in size each day. In 28 days, the lily pad will cover the entire pond. In how many days will the pond be half covered? About halfway through what you were saying, I started thinking about the sweet potato casserole I need to go make. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more on next week's episode of RV Miles. We sure will. And as we have rolled through the Thanksgiving season, by the time you are listening to this, we still just really want to say how incredibly thankful we are for you for listening. For those of you who have come over and joined the RV Miles Facebook group, 
thank you for your support over there as well. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please, we would love it if you would share us around your social media circles or around your Thanksgiving table this holiday season. Until next week, hopefully you will not run into the 54 million people that are going to be on the road heading home. But if you do, maybe we'll join you. Until then, keep logging those RV miles. Bye.